Hey, this is Pastor John Ryan Cantu from Numa Church in Houston, Texas. Thank you for listening to the message today. I hope that it blesses you and all those that you share it with. God bless you. Amen. I want to get into the word this morning. Um, If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 19. And before we get there, I I want to just continue asking for for prayer for uh, Pastor Danny uh, and his family. They lost they lost uh, his his grandmother earlier this week. And so we want to continue just praying for for him and his his family, Um, his his mother who lost a mother, and that's, I can't imagine that. Um, so just keep them in, in your prayers. I know that that would mean a lot to them. Amen. Genesis 19, verses 12 through 17. And I want you to follow along with me. If you've got your family there, make sure you, you uh, get your kids together. And uh, let's have some, some Bible study this morning. It says this, it says, then the men said to Lot, have you anyone else here? Sons-in-laws, sons, daughters, or anyone you have in the city, bring them out of the place for we are about to destroy this place because the outcry against its people has become great before the Lord and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and he said to his sons-in-laws who were married to his daughters up Get out of this place, for the Lord is about to destroy the city. But he seemed to his sons-in-laws to be joking. And as morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take up your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of this city. But he lingered. So the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, the Lord being merciful to him. And they brought him out and set him outside the city. And as they brought them out, one said, Escape for your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. Amen. Glory to God. I entitled today's sermon, Wrecked. Wrecked. And it's a word that's kind of been on my my mind and in my heart for several weeks now. In fact, in our men's class, in in our Zoom classes, which are powerful by the way, if, if you're not joining us um, at, at seven o'clock, we, we all join together. Uh, we do some worship and, and then we do our breakout sessions. It's, it, it's a blessing. Um, but Pastor Brandon brought uh, a word on repentance a few weeks ago. And uh, our brother Junior, actually, he, he brought he brought another word this past week and he mentioned it as well. So that was just kind of further confirmation to go move forward with this sermon that has really been on my heart for for a while and uh, there's, there's a little bit more to repentance than I think we think about. Repentance. And when you think about repentance, you think about like, you know, maybe a, a doomsday preacher, someone who's outside in the streets with the megaphone and he's saying, repent, we're going to go to hell. My parents used to tell me that, uh, and I wish we still had the home movies because they recorded them. But I would, when I was a kid, I would, <laughs> I, put, I would put on my my uh, little cowboy hat and uh, I had some cowboy boots and, and I had some, I guess, stuffed animals or something. And I would line them all up in my room and I would grab something pretending it to be a mic 
And I would say things like, you're going to hell and you're going to hell. And why, stop looking at me like that, teddy bear. You're going to hell. And, 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 and so when we think about repentance, that's kind of the word that we, that, that we get. Um, and, and so perhaps, you know, repentance, it's one of those old school things where, where pe- preachers used to just preach just a, a straight up message of repentance. Can I tell you that that is what we need more of today? Repentance. Repentance, a turning back to God. And I think when we think about the word or when we hear the word repentance, we, we don't fully grasp what, what that full definition of the word embodies. And maybe that's because we've kind of watered it down a little bit. We, we say things like, oh, you want to be, be saved? Just say this little prayer of repentance, right? And we make it cute. We make it cute, like, like, like the prayer to, to salvation. We make it, oh, you just want to be, be saved? Just say this little prayer here. It's like, it's like our, little, our, our little bedtime prayers that we tell our kids to make. Go, just you say your nighttime prayers. And, and, and while repentance and, and, and salvation, those prayers are very, very necessary, it doesn't stop there. And so I want to I ask ourselves this morning, what does repentance really look like? There, this passage that we just read this morning, it doesn't mention the word repentance at all. In fact, we, we would have to go to the, to the New Testament for us to start getting into that word repentance. And we'll do that in a second. But um, the Old Testament doesn't really have a word for our English word repentance. And so why do I bring up this passage of Scripture to talk about this very niche topic? Very simply, because the idea of repentance is all over this passage. It's all over. We're reading of an event here where an entire city is on the brink of destruction because of its wickedness. It's, it's irreversibly wicked. There's hope for the citizens of Sodom and Gomorrah. And I know we say silly things a lot like Los Angeles is a modern day, you know, Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, that's a little a little hyperbolic, right? We're, we're exaggerating a little bit. We're just trying to pick on some of our folks from L.A. Uh, but, but this is a city far worse than that. Uh, in fact, God promised Abraham that he would not destroy the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah if only he found 10 citizens who were righteous. And he didn't. And so they were going to be destroyed for their utter Wickedness. Uh, Sodom and Gomorrah became a later example of, of what the Israelites were not to be. And we can learn a very important lesson from this destruction. I, people ask all the time, why would God destroy just millions of people? Why would he do that? Men, women, and children. And there's a very, very, uh, it, it's, it's, it's a hard answer. But there is an answer. And that's when you reach the place of no hope, not, not, because, not because there is no hope, but because you refused the hope that was there, then that's the moment where hearts begin to be hardened. A lot of times, hopelessness is only there because we refuse to grab it. We refuse. And it's kind of like, it's an illusion that we create for ourselves, hopelessness, where we kind of trap ourselves in, in this perception that there's no hope. And, and really, maybe it's just you're unwilling to do what's necessary to get to the hope that is there. Maybe it's that you're too lazy to do the thing that's necessary for you to find hope again. 
One, one night this, uh, this week, Melissa was watching the movie Pursuit of Happiness. Um, and I, I think it was because um, Brother Tim and, and Maddie McCain uh, referenced that movie during their, their live Zoom call with Pastors Brandon and Damaris, which was powerful, by the way. And they, they mentioned that movie, and I, I guess that put Melissa in the mood to watch it. And so I was watching, uh, watching it as well, kind of in the background. I, I'd seen it before. It's such a, it's an inspiring story, a true story of this man, Chris Gardner. Uh, in the 1980s, this man struggled with uh, homelessness. He struggled to make ends meet. It was him and his, his, his young son. And uh, I went to his website. He's a very renowned uh, speaker. And, and I, I pulled up this short bio from his website. He, he says this. He says, the first and most important decision that I ever made in my life was that my children would always know who their father was. Without knowing the names, the circumstances, the social or social conditions, I consciously chose to break every cycle that I would be born into. Child abandonment, child abuse, alcoholism, domestic violence, fear, poverty, and even illiteracy. The second most important decision that I ever made in my life was that I would become world-class as whatever I did in my life. This once broke Homeless, single father working two jobs, trying to make ends meet, sleeping outside with his young son on some nights is now worth $60 million. And he did it by overcoming something that so many people cannot overcome, the illusion of hopelessness. Because what if other people would have been in that situation? Most people would have been saying, well, how can I work two jobs and have a son? It's impossible. It's hopeless. How can I be successful when I can't even afford to buy good clothes for an interview? It's all about mentality. It's all about perception. And, and I'm not saying that there won't be uh, impossible or, or, or situations that seem hopeless. There might be some situations where you, the only outcome is not the outcome that you were hoping for. But when we're talking about hope on a, on a larger scale, macro hope, if we can call it, that type of hope has a name. And his name is Jesus, right? I mean, Jesus means Yahweh saves. It literally means that he is saving us from our hopelessness. But if you refuse it, that hopelessness is self-constructed. And, 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 and when you build, church, when you build that house of hopelessness for yourself to, to, to live in, no one else can get you out but yourself. You're the only one through repentance. And so when we look at this story of how God destroys this city, we know that he is completely justified in doing it because they refused to turn from their wickedness, creating their own hopelessness. And, and maybe today... So many of us have been frustrated with sin, right? Something we don't want to talk about. We don't want to admit it publicly. We don't want to admit it even to, you know, even privately. It might be only something that, that you yourself know, but sin is, is something that sometimes we feel, man, it, it's, it's hopeless for me. How am I ever going to get out of this? It's hopeless. Let me tell you, before Christ, that would have been a very accurate thing to say. Because before Christ, there was literally no hope 
for humanity. The, 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 the damage was too far gone, and there was nothing by our own good measure that we could do to ever earn salvation. But then Christ came, and he made a way for hope to be restored again. So now I have a question for somebody this morning. What are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? God wants to wreck the old you. God wants to utterly destroy what has kept you in bondage, and he wants to cancel the debt that buys you pleasure but drowns your soul. The Bible says that these two messengers, these two angels, they go and they tell Lot's family, God is about to destroy the city. You got to know that. And you're in the city, so you kind of got to get out. But they don't take it seriously. Lot doesn't really take it seriously. When Lot tells his sons-in-laws, the Bible says he, uh, he appeared to, to them to be jesting, to be joking. And the only reason I can think of that they would think that he was joking was because he wasn't saying it in a very serious way. Maybe he went up to them. He was like, hey, what's up, guys? What y'all doing? Oh, cool, cool. Hey, well, this, 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 these guys say that God is going to destroy the city. So come on, <laughs> get your things. Come on, I'm serious. LOL. Right? You know when you put the LOL like the end? It just makes it like not serious. And the next day, Lot is still there with his family. And these, these angels say, dude, what are you doing here? Didn't we tell you? We've got to go. Get your things. Get your, get your wife. Get your children. We've got to go. And the Bible says that he lingered. He lingered. He hesitated. It's not Can I just say, man, it's not easy uprooting something that has become natural to you. It's not easy. It's not easy to leave your comfort zone in just a moment's notice. It's not easy. Uh, To leave the place that you've been in for such a long time, you're going to hesitate a little bit. You're going to think it through. You're going to be analytical about it. Even if the situation that you find yourself in is toxic. And this is why we've got some people in relationships, man, that they should not be in. But it's comfortable. And it's what I know. And I've been in, I've been in it for a long time. And he pays the bills. Or she pays the bills. <laughs> That's yourself a sugar mama. <laughs> and it's hard to break. It's the reason addictions are hard to break. It's because it, it, in some ways it has become a part of who you are. And it's not very easy to uproot. I've told this story before. I'll, I'll share it again. It's been a while. I remember back in the 90s, some of you guys will recall that there was this big like Disney scandal, this big Disney thing that came out where Disney was putting subliminal messages in some of their movies. A lot of these movies were targeted to kids. It was a big deal. I don't know if you remember it, but I, I remember it because, like, I remember hearing messages about how Disney was the devil. And uh, there was even, like, a theory that, that was populating, like, you know, this organization is, like, the mark of the beast. And, like, it was Antichrist. Everyone has been accused of being the Antichrist in my lifetime. But I was a kid, and I wasn't going to be a part of supporting this demon-filled organization. I didn't want the devil in my room. Uh-uh. So... I started destroying everything Disney. I started with the movies. The, those, the movies, the, 
you know, the classics, Aladdin, the Lion King, Beauty and the Beast, the thing that we were so grateful for just a couple months ago when Disney Plus came out. I got like five people on my account and I was just there willy nilly, just throwing things out the window and destroying them. <laughs> and, and, and I got to this last piece of, of uh, Disney uh, stuff and it was a video game. It was a Lion King video game, and I had it on Super Nintendo, and it was great. I would play it every single day when I got home from school. I would grab myself a Sprite and one of those little, little Debbie brownies. I'd go upstairs and live my best life. And I would play it. My, my cousin was there with me. He, he lived in the neighborhood, and we would always play this, this game. And it was the last piece of equipment that had to go from Disney. It took a while. And I remember... Being there in my, I, I literally remember looking at the game, standing over it, hesitating, not wanting to do it. And then my cousin, Shannon, he's like, we got to do this. <laughs> Easy for him to say, my game, right? And, and I was like, okay. And I remember grabbing a baseball bat that I had in my room and I just beat it to death. But it, it, it took me a while to get to it. I would avoid it. I started with, with, with other things first. I started with the, the, you know, the princess movies. I went into Ashley's room, bars in there. Hey, I need your Snow White movie. Come on. It's got to happen. You want to go to hell? You know, <laughs> give it to me. But when it came to my thing, like so many of us, like Lot, I lingered. I lingered. And church, God wants to wreck. He wants to wreck whatever mess that you're in. He wants to destroy it. And maybe it's, I don't know, it might be that attitude that you carry with you. That, that you know you have an attitude problem, but you're too proud to admit it. Maybe it's the bad habits. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's the way that you think. Maybe it's the way that you talk about people when they're not listening. But you're holding on to it because you're not sure if you're ready to part ways with it. Because it's been a part of you for so many years. And he wants to wreck it. Don't say that it's hopeless because there's hope there. Don't build yourself a house of hopelessness. The act of repentance means a turning away from. You're turning your back from something. When, when we repent, we're not just saying, I'm sorry. We're, we're saying, I'm sorry, and I'm not going back there. There are, there are two Greek verbs for the word repent. One of them is found in Matthew 27 verse three. I don't have it up here. It's regarding Judas. Some, some, new, uh, some versions say then Judas, which had betrayed him when he saw that he was condemned, he being Jesus repented himself and brought again the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders. So a lot of modern translations don't actually say repent. Uh, they're a little bit more accurate to what the actual meaning is. But some versions do say repent. Um, and it, it's not the way that we would define true repentance. Some versions, if, if you have it in your Bible, it might say that Judas felt remorse. It might say that he, uh, he regretted his actions. It might, the ESV says that he changed his mind. That Greek word is metamelomai. It's a fun word. Metamelomai. Metamelomai, which means to change one's mind 
as to produce regret or even remorse on account of sin, but not necessarily a change of heart. It's a change of mind, but not a change of heart. So you can feel bad about doing something because you know it's wrong, but not necessarily turn from it. So, you know, Meta Metal Mind might be something that you do after you eat that double meat cheeseburger, right? Like you, you feel bad about it. Oh, Lord, why did I do that? But not bad enough to not do it again this time next week. <laughs> when we come to Christ, what do we do? We, we turn away from our current life. That's what we do. We say goodbye and, and, and we proceed to, to follow Jesus. And in a very real sense, we know that God is going to destroy that evil. And so we don't want to live with evil anymore because if we do, then we're going to get destroyed ourselves. So we turn away from it. We run from it. But many times, many times we don't repent all the way. We, we like to pack a bag. <laughs> take some things with us. So effectively we have carried over some things from our former life into our current life with Christ. And these might be smaller things, right? Things that we, we, we don't, we, we try to justify, right? It might be some, some anger issues where we constantly say, Oh God is still working on me. And that's our excuse. Every time you've been saved for 20 years, <laughs> it might be a bit of hate, a bit of, of greed or, or, or jealousy. There have been some things that we have kept lingering in our midst when God called for their destruction. And maybe you feel sorry every time after you go back there. You feel sorry that you reacted in anger. You felt sorry that jealousy was created in you. You you felt sorry or remorseful when you go back to to lust and 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 you have a moment of metamelomai where you feel bad about it and 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 you change your mind in a moment but your heart stays the same. And then there's the other word. And the other verb is metanoel. Metanoel, which means to change one's mind and purpose. So this is the type of repentance that John the Baptist preached before Jesus came on the scene. He said, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. He wasn't just saying, feel sorry for what you, what you've been doing. He said, turn away from it. This is the word that Peter used. Paul used when they were preaching to the Jews and and to the Gentiles. It's a very different type of repentance than that of Judas, because even though Judas was sorry, he was too proud to turn away from his sin. And that, that hardened heart created his own hopelessness, and he eventually hung himself. So I, ask, I want you to ask yourself a question. Just be real with yourself. What kind of repentance has filled my life? What kind of repentance? When, when I repent, and, and we need to be repenting constantly, man, because we are so imperfect. But what kind of repentance is it? See, this is, this is why it's not enough just to pray that prayer. There's got to be a shift in heart, not just in speech. You know, very often, Layla will come and she'll apologize for something that, she'll, that, that she did, right? And, and she'll say, I'm, I'm sorry, and she's got tears 
in her eyes, they're, they're filling up with water. She's got that little frown, you know, where she's trying to hold back the, the cry. And she'll get specific. I'm sorry that I got mad. I'm sorry that I threw a fit. And we'll always ask her, okay, you're sorry, but are you going to do it again? Because I don't, I don't need to be here. I'm sorry every day. I need to know that you're going to change. <laughs> and a lot of times she can't answer the question because she knows that she's probably going to do it again. Like, I, I'm sorry today. I don't know if I can commit to that tomorrow. That's not repentance. And if we go a little further up in the story, you know the part where, where Lot, Lot's wife, turns, she, she looks back and, and, and she's turned into a pillar of salt. She, she, she's she's con, uh, consumed with the destruction of the city. Right? And at first, we can kind of tell what's going on here. I mean, Lot's family, they're reluctant to leave. They hesitate. They're not taking it very seriously at first. They're not wanting to leave behind what they've become so accustomed to. And, and the angels give very clear instructions. They say, okay, from now, from now on, you're, you're, just, you're, you're going forward. You're running away. Don't look back. And I want you to know when we read that in the story, I mean, it doesn't, we, we just kind of pass it by. Like it's very, very uh, arbitrary instructions. Like that's kind of random. Like just, okay, don't look back. No, it, it, it didn't mean just to glance back. The, the, the word there in the Hebrew is nabat, which is, is much deeper than just like to look behind your shoulder. It means to consider. It means to gaze. Wherever your gaze is, your focus will be. Right? You can't, you can't keep your focus on the things that you're trying to leave behind. You can't do that. you got to focus on the escape. See, Lot's, this, is, this is why Lot's wife didn't make it out alive, because she wasn't focused on the escape. She was focused on her past. So the Bible says that as a result of Lot's wife, looking back, considering, beholding, she fell behind. And when she fell behind, she was consumed and destroyed with the city. Church, we've got to learn how to hate sin, man. We've got to learn how to hate it so much that, that we don't even consider it again. Too many of us have a love-hate relationship with sin. And it's that love part that keeps us going back. We hate that we love it, but we love it. We need to take the love part out and we need to hate it. We need to be disgusted with it because what, whatever we're disgusted with, we're going to refuse to look at. And church, God wants to wreck the evil in your life. He wants to wreck it. And I don't know what it is. The things that, the, the ways that, that perhaps make you impure or, or, or not holy, he wants to take you out of that city because he's about to destroy it. And he, and he loves you enough to give you the opportunity to take the hope that is there, but we've got to let go. We have got to turn away from what keeps us holy. And look, this message isn't just for the 
unbeliever living in sin. I hope that you got that by now. Every day we're in need of repentance. Every day. Every day there is that city that wants to get rebuilt. There is that new temptation. There is that, that new battle. But hope hasn't been lost, man. All it takes is a turning point where we say, you know what? I'm not going back there. I'm done with that. I'm, I'm not going back to that relationship. I've got to stop thinking this way. I've got to stop doing these things. God is calling somebody this morning to repentance in Jesus' name. And if you're there in your home, I want to, I want to pray with you. I want to pray, I want to pray that, that prayer of repentance. But if there's anything that you got from the message, you, you, you have to know that it's not just a prayer. It's not just words. There, there's, there's no power in just rhetoric. The power is in the heart. It's in the commitment. And so maybe there's some things that have filled your life that you're tired of. You, you hate that you constantly go back there. You hate that you constantly react that way. You wish that it would change. Just turn away from it. Turn away from it. God has created a way through his son, Jesus. And as the, the worship team, I'm going to ask them to sing something, but I'm going to ask you to, if you're there in your home, I'm just going to ask you to stand with me. And I want you to pray this prayer with me. And I want you to think right now over your life, just scan the areas of your life that you, you know that you need to drop. You know that you can't take them to heaven with you. God wants to make you better. God wants to take you to new heights, new glories. But the sin in our lives weighs us down. We can't be carrying these burdens anymore. I need someone this morning who will say, God, I want to be everything that you want me to be, Lord. I want, to go, I, want to, I want to go as high as you want me to go, my God. And in order to do that, I have to let go of some things in my life. I have to turn from them. I have to hate them. And I have to love you. Just take a moment. Just meditate. Thanks for listening. If you'd like some more information on Numa Church, visit us on our website at mynumachurch.org If you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe or share it with your friends on social media and tag us at mynumachurch. Thanks again and God bless.